Are you saying yes with purpose and no with conviction? That came to me like the fourth time I almost died and that I was not using my own power to make decisions in my life and was feeling a victim of circumstances perpetrated upon. People are forcing me. I don't have a choice. Hello and welcome to the Creative Lotus Podcast. I'm your host, Alan Zaki. Hello and welcome to the Creative Lotus Podcast. On this week's episode, we have Susan DeMonte. Welcome to the podcast. I hope you enjoy this episode. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Creative Lotus Podcast. On this week's episode, we have actor, writer, voice actor, and singer and producer, Susan DeMonte. Welcome to the Creative Lotus Podcast. Yeah, it's called uh, multi-hyphenate, they're calling yes, it these days. I, I love it. That's that's what you should be, a multi-hyphenate. If you have the ability <laughs> and the creative talents, put them to use. So Susan, uh, first of all, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. But I want to start off with, uh, for the listeners, kind of giving a little background of maybe where you're born and raised and kind of how you got started in all of the multi-hyphenate uh, abilities that you uh, are sharing with us today. Oh, okay, great. Uh, born and raised in San Francisco Bay Area, um, Palo Alto High, uh, Hospital, um, before it became Silicon Valley. Uh, grew up in uh, Redwood City, which we used to call Deadwood Shitty. Uh, <laughs> it was like <laughs> the only place that was any fun was the round table pizza um and mm. hanging out at the uh 76 gas station um wow but uh, i went to um <clears throat> pretty much most of my life uh i performed it was kind of the way i used my imagination um because there was a lot of trauma in my family from day 1 when i was born and uh and so I, I would go out of my body most of the time to join my imagination. And it was really, I look back now, it's really the place where I was able to survive the trauma. Um, yeah. luckily I didn't get, you know, drug addicted or, or any of those things. I just used my own head to go out of my body. <laughs> and so, um, yeah. So, you know, I was in, uh, I, I, my mother put me into um, a tap and ballet and uh, baton and modern dance uh, studio. Um, and it was kind of the beginning of my going out of my body because I, uh, we were all lined up and in a holding room, a green room. And I completely, they, and they were showing cartoons for us to be quiet. And I got into the cartoon and I missed my cue. So I missed my whole dance. Mm. Oh, and wow. yeah, <laughs> I was only like five years old. And it was kind of like, that was when the reprimands kind of like, what's wrong with you? <laughs> hello, hello, wake up, you know. Uh, and uh, but I really learned dance and singing and loved performing. And um, and I remember um, right around then was um the Wizard of Oz would play every, I think, Thanksgiving, I think it was. And we had the scum. I lived right down the street from the school. And so I remember one time after seeing the Wizard of Oz, 
going to the swings and swinging on them and singing somewhere over the rainbow, you know, and just seeing birds flying and being in that scene, you know. So there's a lot of memories of me, you know, play acting um, when I was, you know, below 10 years old. And then um, going into school, I couldn't really, I was, I was always getting marks uh, from the report card. Susan is daydreaming <laughs> during oh, school. Wow. And so, <laughs> you know, I would just be so bored that I'd just kind of like, just be looking out the window, thinking of whatever and not paying attention to it. So, you know, I say nowadays that if, if they had, a uh, different way of teaching. I think they do do this now with uh, charter schools and whatever is that to to teach and learn to know how a child learns because I'm an audio visual right. learner. I'm not yes. a memorizer yes. or a test taker or, a, you know, it's hard for me to read for any long time. But if you put an image in front of me, I can study it and concentrate on, on it for two hours straight, you know. <clears throat> In high school, I was, uh, you know, pom pom girl, uh, which was the dance team. Uh, I was a senior prom princess, junior prom princess, um, uh, track queen. Um, mm-hmm. One funny story is that I, um, during my being a track queen, I, you know, my father was always kind of one of the great things he taught me was a work ethic. You don't get anything for free. So if I wanted to have some money, he would make me weed the garden or, you know, shovel stuff or pick up stuff. And so I was weeding the garden and I got this terrible case of poison ivy, poison oak. And I didn't really know I had it. And so I had to, you know, uh, lay cheek kisses and lays on all the winners of the track team. So who oh, knows who got no, no. poison oh, oak what? after that. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Really. Wow. I mean, I got it everywhere on my back between yeah. my thigh. And it was summertime Oof. too. So Oof. Yeah. yeah, that was agonizing. And then um, when I graduated high school, you know, I thought, oh, I'm going to be, uh, you know, I took all the things that women in my day took was shorthand and typing and right, right. filing and, you know, spelling. I was every, even to this day, people say your signature is so amazing because I, I always practiced cursive writing. Yeah. That was a big deal that we don't have these days, you know. Um, and so when I was sitting with my mom in the den and she's like, what are you going to do? You know, when you, I said, maybe I'll go to, you know, community college or, cause there was no money per se to go. And, and it was never, uh, encouraged in our family to have a higher education because it was, you know, my father was second generation Italian and mm-hmm. grew his own business, started his own business on his own. My mother was a stay at home mom. Right. And, you know, so, uh, I said, maybe I'll go, well, maybe I'll be, uh, so I had, you know, some dreams. I thought, oh, I'll be an executive assistant to a big star, you know, a celebrity. Yeah. And, you know, I'll, I'll do their typing and their filing and all of that, and I'll travel with them. And, 
Mm. And she said, well, you know, why don't you, you're pretty, you know, you should go, you know, and you, you enjoy uh, performing, you should go and do, you know, do some commercials. Uh-huh. I read this article that this woman, you know, uh, took her kids to San Francisco and had them start doing commercials. You should do that. You could make right. a lot of money. Yeah. And I said, I don't know how to do that. And she goes, well, let's call <laughs> Channel 2. So we call, we called Channel wow. 2. <laughs> Talk about ambition. And she's like, Channel 2? I want my daughter. To, she wants to do commercials. How do we go about doing it? And they're like, oh, ma'am, uh, we're not, you need an agent. You know, you have to get an acting agent. And, you know, we're not right. the people that, you know, can do. We don't hire people. We're, we do the production. So they gave That's us a two, I think there were two agents in San Francisco at the time. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, Ann Brebner and they think they were both named Ann. Ann Demeter and Ann Brebner. And uh, so... I said, well, what do I do? And she goes, I'll take, she goes, put on your tent dress. Cause I made, you know, I was a sewer also. So I sewed all my, your tent dress that you just made. And I'll take a Polaroid of you. And then you'll go up there in person. You take your Polaroid, you go up, get dress up nice, go up there and go in there. She goes, I, that's what I used to do when I was a teenager. I'd go walk into the place and they'd hire me. You should just go in there. So I went up to Ann Brebner Agency and, you know, hi, I, I'd like to do commercials, please, you know, with my, <laughs> with my little Polaroids. Your Polaroids. <laughs> and the receptionist, of course, saw, because I'm half Italian, Swedish, Irish, and I have great genes, and she was like, hmm, who's this girl coming in the door? And all dressed up and so she brought the modeling agent out mm. and uh god what was her name terry scott Geraldine scott wow i can't believe i remember wow. her name good memory that's yeah. yeah and so she um she came over to me and said you know how old are you i was 19 i think or something 18 and uh she said well you, you need to get a portfolio and so you, you need to learn how to, you know, model. So go to John Robert Powers Modeling and Finishing School and, you know, get your portfolio ready and come back and see me. So I went home and, you know, my father wouldn't pay for college, but he would pay for a finishing school, you know. So oh, wow. off I went to John Robert Powers Modeling and Finishing School in Palo Alto and I became their biggest star. I mean, we learned everything about clothing. We did tea room. The first thing I did was tea room modeling, which is doesn't happen anymore. It's like you wear these this this clothing, and you go to the Stanford Shopping Center into Mm. Blum's, you know, chocolate shop where they're eating or having lunch, and you walk around and you know. How, how much is this? So this is, you know, this is $30 and that's whatever. And you show them the clothes in person and you sell right. clothes like right. that. So I started making some money and then I started doing photo shoots for them and I was on their cover. And, and so I got this job, um, at the Belmont horse race track oh, wow. where I was to dress up like a pilgrim for Thanksgiving 
Oh, oh no. Oh no. <laughs> Not a pilgrim. <laughs> Dress up like a pilgrim and um, give out uh, winter circle turkeys to the people who were in the wor- oh, wow. winter circle that, you know, the, mm-hmm. dis- you know, the jockeys and everything. Right, right. And um, I had a live turkey. You know, all the vegans that are listening probably are just dumbfounded <laughs> right now. They had yes, a live yes. turkey on a leash. I actually have oh a picture. Gosh. I have a picture of it. Um, <laughs> and uh, a woman comes up to me and says, um, "Well, hi." She goes, uh, "Are you the? Are you a model?" And I said, "I'm, I'm just beginning modeling." And, and she goes, "Well, uh, what else do you do?" You, and I said, uh, "I, you know, I do a little singing, and but you know, I'm not, I'm not that talented. I'm just, you know, just making a living, doing, you know, modeling." And, and she said, well, have you ever thought of running for the Miss America pageant? And I said, no. Wow. <laughs> and she said, well, if you have, you know, if you can do a little song or dance or, you know, something, you can have a talent, come to this tea that we're having mm-hmm. for new contestants in San Mateo. Mm-hmm. And here's the date, blah, blah, blah. So right. one of the things, I, I played sports all of my life, too, softball and badminton and golf. I mean, every kind of sport, I'm pretty, I'm not a master of any of them, but I can do all of them. And so I had that competition spirit. So it's like, oh, I'm going to go to this tea and see what this is all about. Right. And so when I entered the room, I thought, oh, I can beat any of these girls out. <laughs> it was very <laughs> arrogant. <laughs> and so, um, so I became a contestant for the Miss San Mateo County Miss America pageant, and I had started going to movies. Like, movies were the place, the other place where I could go and, um, you know, use my imagination as well. And my mother used to take me to movies too. When my father was at the motorcycle races, we'd go to the movies. And I saw Funny Girl for probably eight times, eight or nine times, and brought every Mm. friend, every relative, anybody who would go with me, I would go to yeah. see Funny Girl, Barbara Streisand. Mm-hmm. And everybody always said, well, why, why do you like that, that movie? It's about an, you know, an ugly girl that, you know, <laughs> nobody, nobody pays attention to. And I said, well, right. it's kind of what I call the, uh, the curse of the attractive woman. People think mm-hmm. that you're, uh, you have it made. You're attractive, mm. so everybody opens your doors. Everybody, you know, wants to see you, wants to know you. But inside, you feel actually kind of alone and mm. not recognized because people are looking at your outside and they're not taking the time, especially women would, you know, that as soon as you came in and you were attractive at all, they think you were a B I T C H or, you know, arrogant or. Right. And so. A lot of times it felt really lonely being mm. being an attractive person. So I related to Fanny Bryce, you know, my favorite uh, my favorite uh, line of hers in it. I'm a bagel on a plate full of onion rolls. Nobody recognizes me. <laughs> <You know? laughs> That's so good. So good. Right. And so, yes, I uh, I wrote a monologue first time of my writing. Because we couldn't use any of the writing from the actual text. 
So I wrote my own monologue and I did I'm the Greatest Star um, mm. as my talent. And I won the Miss San Mateo County pageant and was going on to Miss California. It was a big deal. And that's when I got connected to Lynn Day, who was the um, entertainment writer for the San Mateo Times. And he was like, you know, doing all kinds of publicity for me. And I was doing appearances all over the Bay Area. And everybody was like, this is going to she's going to win Miss California. And Mm -hmm. so uh, when we got to the California competition, there was a uh, a woman from Hayward, California. Mm. She was blonde, skinny. I'm, you know, I'm Italian. I'm a Zoftic person. I'm not a skinny person. And my hair was black, you know, at that mm. time, black, brownish black. Mm. And she was blonde and skinny and played the violin, right? So here I am. I'm Zoftic. I'm a brunette and I'm doing, I'm the greatest star I am by far, you know? And yeah. so, uh, as the competition went on, there was a surprise that I won best, uh, bathing suit. Hmm. Uh, you know, um, was really shocking to me because, you know, I had been exercising and dieting and, you know, trying to get my figure as good as I could. And uh, I was in a woman who played a piano piece that got the talent thing. And so it came down to Miss Hayward and Miss San Mateo County. Mm. And we're sitting there holding our ha- hands. And Susan Anton was the outgoing Miss California. And she came to me and she goes, I'm crowning you tomorrow. There's no wow. doubt about it, right? Yeah. And so when they're announcing, they finally go, first runner-up, Susan DeMonte. And winner of Miss California, uh, I can't remember her name, Miss Hayward, right? Karen was her name. Yeah. And Of course it's a Karen. It's a Karen. <laughs> <laughs> I never thought about that. God damn that's, it, Karen. <laughs> it's a Karen. Oh, my God. That's hilarious. <laughs> so you should see, I mean, you know, on the, uh, we don't have the, it, you know, it was a live show, but there's pictures of me with just yeah. shock on my face. Mm, and mm. and everybody was kind of like, you know, like this. and Soft claps. Yeah. Yeah, like soft claps. Nobody knew and all that. So she went on. The poor thing, they dyed her hair so badly that it was falling out. Um, mm. She didn't even make like the semifinals in, in Atlantic City. And and so Lynn Day, hired, so the next year, uh, Miss San Mateo became Miss California, kind of like a backlash of, and she was a, a, a tumbler, just a gymnastics, very beautiful brunette. Um and they invited me back to dance in the show and, you know, have like, you know, announce me as the first runner up last year kind of thing, trying to make amends, I think. Mm. And then yeah. Lynn Day sent me to Atlantic City the year after that to be mm. uh, a junior reporter for him. So I actually did get to go to uh, the Miss America pageant. That was, you know, 
that was a little bit of consolation, but really, basically, it was kind of like I was just this very open and enthusiastic and thought the world was just the greatest place on earth. And uh, suddenly it was like, no, things don't turn out okay. Things, mm. no matter how good you are, no matter how talented you are, no matter how much you try, you don't win, mm. right? Mm. And so I took my scholarship. The scholarship was like $600 or something. And I took it and uh, went to the American Conservatory Theater to study classical, uh, classical acting. And was trained in iambic pentameter and scansion and and uh, Shakespeare and all of the Ibsen and Chekhov and all of that. And uh, really, that's where I got the basis of my training was was mm-hmm. at the um, at ACT. Um, and uh, while I was at ACT. Uh, Carnegie Mellon University came to scout for uh, actors who could go to their university. Um, mm-hmm. Like some people would transfer from community college, for instance. Or, and um, so they came and um, I applied and I got in. Mm. And I was going to go, you know, to, to uh, further my studies in classical theater and um, I um, went to my dad. I said, Dad, I, I've been, you know, I've been accepted into Carnegie Mellon University. It's a great opportunity for me, you know, to deepen my my acting prowess. And and he was like sitting on his lounging chair and he's like, college? You're going to go to college? I'm not, I'm not paying for college. I didn't go to college. I own my own business. You're pretty. Go get a job. Wow. And that's where and I went skulking out of the room. And so what I did was I just, you know, got in my Volkswagen Carmen Ghia that they don't make anymore and packed up my stuff and came to L.A. to mm. seek my fame and fortune. And the the cherry on this, and we'll probably, you know, get on to your next question, is that um, about six months into my trying to make it here in Hollywood, um, I was introduced to chanting nam myoho kyo and Nichiren Buddhism, which wow. pushed my life into a, a completely different direction. Yeah. No, amazing. Thank you so much for sharing. I think, um, yeah, going through that whole process, it's funny because I'm also born and raised in Northern California. So oh, I that's know right. That I forgot. I, 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 yeah, from Sacramento. So I totally get it. I mean, growing up in Northern California, although you lived in San Francisco and kind of the Bay Area, which is more us, us poor folks living in Sacramento, we're always joking <laughs> that like, oh, the big city is San Francisco. They got the bridges and the skyscrapers. You know, we're just out in the, you know, the woods or the boonies of, of Sacramento. Right. Um, but yeah, I think, uh, you know, it's amazing that you kind of were like so determined to make it right and go into entertainment and do what you really wanted to do, which is, you know, like acting and performing. Um, and yeah, you took it and to take a chance like that to go 
after going through school and everything and coming to LA is no easy feat. What was, if you want to kind of share, kind of how yeah. was that process of coming to LA? And then, like you said, you got introduced shortly thereafter to, you know, practicing and chanting Nichiren Buddhism with, uh, you know, the Sokogakai International, which is how we know each other. Um, That's right. Yeah. But yeah, I would love to kind of know some, like, maybe some of the struggles or things that started to happen the moment that you got into Los Angeles. Yes. Uh, you sure you want to get into the struggles? <laughs> there are many. <laughs> yes. Yes. Maybe we'll, short, we'll shorten the list. Maybe the biggest struggles that you kind of had to, to go through, if you will. Well, um, yeah, I think that the, the family trauma started when, um, uh, my brother was two years older than me and we had, uh, so probably nine, so it's Roman Catholic background. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I was nine, he was 11 and a baby was born. Uh, Richard, Richard Rudolph DeMonte. And mm. he was born with hydrocephalus, which is water wow. on the brain. Now that, you know, now it's not a problem that much. I mean, they have, uh, they can put a stint if it does happen. I don't even know if it exists anymore, actually, but at that time it was, mm. it was fairly prominent as a, um, you know, a baby, babies were born with, uh, this, water on the brain and so he had like a five-hour operation when he was three months old or five months old and um and i was you know i was a preteen. i would run home to play with him every day and we were just great buddies and he died at 14 months old and that catapulted my mother into alcoholism my brother into drugs and alcohol okay. my father into being absent and not being able to face anything so not coming home and mm -hmm. uh me going into uh you know the bathroom and that was the only safe haven i could go into where i'd make faces in the mirror and uh play get you know play do imagination games and stay in there and people would not bother me because they felt i was right, in the bathroom right. but I, they didn't know i was in there making making up stories and whatnot. Mm. And so, um, yeah, I think it was, uh, I was about 15 when I started, uh, having bulimia and mm. I didn't know until further on in my life and my struggle with it, that it wasn't about food, you know, but I'll never forget it's not about food. It's about abject rage that's unexpressed, really. Um, wow. But I remember, you know, my father was, he acted in a way where, that wasn't really him, which I found out later when he had Parkinson's disease. Um, and we talked about, you know, things more openly. But um, mm -hmm. he was authoritarian. It was like, do as you say, do as I say, not as I do. Um, and so one night, um, and my brother was already, I think he was coming to the table on LSD and whatever else he was taking and they would have fist fights uh, and he'd run out the door to be under the table pounding each other. And so 
you know, I was the good girl. I was the, you know, I'm going to try to keep peace. And so, um, one night he was just forced me to eat my dinner. He was like, you haven't eaten your dinner. You know, I put the, I, I, you know, I break my ass making money for you to have food on the table. You're going to eat every morsel what's on that table. Right. And sat there for an hour, just shoveling it step by step in and then just went and purged afterward. Mm. And that kind of started that. And, but, you know, it was also the pretty girl who is optic, you're supposed to be skinny, you're a model, you need to lose weight and all of that kind of, you know, pressure in terms of your figure. Um, and so all throughout the last part of my high school and into my 20s, I had, you know, an eating, dis- terrible eating disorder. And actually I was at the market buying groceries to eat and purge when, um, Sandy Clayton approached me and said, I want to introduce you to this ancient practice of chanting Namya Horinge Kyo. And wow. she, I turned around and I was like, Oh God, the LA weirdos are after me. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you had this, Welcome but to LA. yeah, it was like the San Francisco people were so like, oh, LA, especially in the seventies, oh, yeah. it was like, it's smoggy yeah. down there and in there, you know, it's yeah. Hollywood and they're fake and, you know, yeah. blah, 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 blah. And so it was like, right, oh, right. the LA weirdos are after me. But Sandy, she was just such a kind woman and she had kind eyes and, a, you know, just a nice, kind person, you know, and she was just like, what are you yeah. doing here? And I said, well, I'm, you know, I'm an actress. I just moved here from San Francisco. And she was like, oh, you should really try this practice. You can really, you know, mm. you can chant for anything and you can, um, you know, achieve your dreams. And, and she was, you know. And I, 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 she said, can I have your number? And I was like, no, no, you can't have my number. <laughs> and so <laughs> it was perfect where she gave me a card and had the, mm-hmm. the address and the time. And it was mm-hmm. right down the street um, mm. from, you know, it was on Lincoln and Rose. It's now, I think, Whole Foods. But then it was, I think, mm. ironically, Lucky Market. And... Mm. uh I, she made me say the words. That was the one thing. She had me out loud say the vibration. Oh, she's this is the vibration. So say it out loud. And she taught me Nam, Myoho, Renge, Kyo. And she was, then she put her hand on my shoulder and said, I'll be waiting for you to come through the door next Tuesday. I'm so excited. So my Roman Catholic guilt kind of kicked in. <laughs> and I was kind of like, I got to go to that damn meeting because I'll feel guilty. Yeah. I'm going to let her down if uh-huh. I don't go. And, um, but I had, you know, went back to my one room, all utilities paid bungalow and, and uh, $100 a month, I think it was at that time, 1972. Wow. And uh, started trying to say the words. Nam Mahi Ringi Nam Moho. And so I showed up at that meeting and then I heard inside. I was like, oh God, I'm not going in here. This is ridiculous. What am I doing? And uh, she came up 
hi, you, you came. I'm so excited. Come on in and take your shoes off, ask questions. So I went in. I was the only new person there. And they were chanting to an altar with a scroll in it. And I started giggling with tears in my eyes. What am I doing here? And But here's the rhythm that we talk about in Nietzsche and Buddhism, the circumstances being perfect for for you, was right. I'd given up boys, had broken up with my boyfriend. I had it with all these mm-hmm. producers and directors coming on to me in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. I was mad at my dad. I stopped talking to him. And I was like, I'm going for my career and my girlfriends and you know, I'm I'm going to surround myself with amazing women. And all the men were in Japan at that time. There was a ceremony happening. And um, Mm. so a woman was leading the meeting. And she had a little baby that was crawling on her. And um, after everybody gave their testimonials and stopped chanting, she turned to me and said, would you like to start chanting, Susan? Mm. And I said, oh, you know, I... I gave up Catholicism in eighth grade. It was never confirmed. I'm not an organized religion person. I, and plus, I'm I'm a happy-go-lucky person. I'm a positive thinker. I, you know, I don't really think I need you know religion. And she said, mm. she said, "Isn't there anything that gets that you get stuck with or stuck on that keeps happening over and over again?" And you say, "I'm a positive thinker. I'm a happy-go-lucky person. Why am I back here?" Mm-hmm. And that pierced me. I didn't tell her I was vomiting eight times a day, but I just said, wow. yes, I, I feel like I'm a hamster on the I'm trying so hard to be a good person. I've never killed anybody. I've never done terrible things. I've tried to be a good person. And I just feel like I'm on a hamster, hamster wheel. And she right. said, well, that's what we call karma in this teaching. Mm. And it's you have good karma because you have good habits and you have bad karma because you have bad habits. It's pretty much that simple. And she said, but this scroll that we chant to is based on the Lotus Sutra and we call it the the sword of the Lotus Sutra. And when you chant Nam-myoho-renge-kyo, you create a spiritual sword that will cut through that pattern. And you can change and transform all your suffering into joy. Yes. And I was like, what? (laughs) No one had ever said to me, your sufferings can be transformed into joy. Sufferings to me was something goes bad. I'm bad. I'm effed up. I'm broken. I need to be fixed. What's wrong with me? I'm a sinner Whatever it is, you know, it's me. It's my fault. And for her to say, I can take those sufferings and transform them into joy. It's like, where do I sign? How much does it cost? Because I'm a starving actor. Yeah. <laughs> and at that time, I think the donation was five bucks or something. So I gathered it and, and I started. And uh, one thing that Sandy gave me was she came with a calendar and she said, I want you to mark off this calendar and chant morning and evening for 90 days. And if you don't get any proof, I'll quit, she said. Wow. And I said, I don't want to quit. And she goes, no, that's how confident I am that you're going to get result from this practice. Yeah. And uh, she started me off being consistent in, in 50 years. I just celebrated 50 years 
I've never missed, never missed chanting twice a day in emergency rooms, on planes and on, on the set, uh, you know, in a room with a roommate, excuse me, I'm just going to do my, my prayers. Let's be, you know, I'm trying to be quiet, but it's kind of a promise I made to myself and has, have kept over the years. Yes. Incredible. So thank you for sharing that first and foremost. Um, I, from that moment, right, when you kind of started practicing and then Sandy, uh, you know, shared with you, like, let's really test this um, from those struggles that you had from your childhood and then coming to L.A. and kind of trying to figure that out. Um, what was kind of uh, switching that, if you will, poison into medicine or having kind of a breakthrough in your career or in your creative fields um, after you started to practice and kind of get your bearings? Yeah, I started chanting, you know, because they said you can chant for anything. So I started chanting for acting gigs like right, right away. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah. I went out to audition for, um, funny enough, ironically enough, the Great American Beauty Contest, an Aaron Spelling mm -hmm. production. And mm -hmm. uh, I was auditioning for Miss Maine. And oh, yeah. And uh, it was a lead role. It was a you know um, co-star role, and uh, I went in and I you know I brought in all of my theater training, which I think they weren't used to seeing in Los mm -hmm. Angeles. And um, I, I auditioned with a scene where my father isn't able to come to see me in the competition, and I really want him right. to be there. And I'm very devastated that he's not. And so it's a phone call and I walk, I chanted, I chanted, I chanted. It was like, I really want to get this role because I, you know, I mean, it's up my alley. <laughs> you know, I, I know yeah. what it's like to be in a pageant, uh, but it's a really deep role. It was, you know, all the other ones were like fluffy, but she was, you know, having some struggles and they showed that in the, in the uh, movie. It was a movie of the week on television. And so I went in and sat on the ground and took their uh, phone and put it on mute and did the whole scene on the phone on the floor and, you know, speaking to my dad, crying, sobbing. And I remember looking up and they were, they had tears, these executives, mm. one wow. or two of them had, and they were kind of silent after it mm -hmm. and so then you know i got a, a message from my agent that i got the role and the producer called me in he said i need to speak to you so i went in and he says you you've been you've been here six months we don't know who the hell you are such you know uh veteran girls had auditioned for this role and there's no doubt about mm -hmm. it. We wanted you to do this role, but I don't know why. Wow. And you better not put egg <laughs> on my face. Basically, mm. you better meet up with what we see in your potential kind of thing. Right. And so, yeah, that's how I yeah. kind of entered my practice and my, and, and I realized it was like, what it was the beginning of me understanding life force or life condition, right? So you have all these girls who are beautiful and they're talented and they're you know, a lot of them have already worked in Hollywood, but there's Susan DeMonte, 
what's different about her? What is, you know, why do we feel compelled to hire her? And I realized that was from my, my life condition from chanting. Nami Horenge Kyo, right? Yes. And so Farrah Fawcett was in the cast and uh, wow. Joanna Cameron, who actually just passed away. And mm. one funny story is um, Joanna Cameron's ca- uh, character was a women's libber. So part of the story is about, you know, the women's lib people coming and at the at the very end when she wins they're going to protest and say this is a cattle call and when people started Mm-mm. started protesting pageants as being you know cattle calls and not looking at the girl but looking at her you know physically and and so that was written in there and so she wins the pageant and you know when you when you're crowned usually natural tears come you know when you're oh right. my god so, you know, because it's so much pressure doing the pageant. And mm-hmm. then when you win, even when I got first runner up, I was sobbing, you know. And mm-hmm. um, so there are the cameras on her and they, they bring it up to her and then they go cut and they come in and they blow menthol in her eyes. Yeah. And then they start to roll the thing again. And I am absolutely flabbergasted how could you not get real tears you are an actor you know i didn't say this but i was like Mm. flabbergasted that somebody would float you know fake tears in your eyes this is the joy of acting Mm -hmm. you have to get your own you know so it's kind of my introduction to you know hollywood and uh Mm. the difference between you know deep stage training and you know tv and mm-hmm. film um yeah yeah so that was a a really great experience in that in that sense yeah so from there you know you're in hollywood you're kind of showing this amazing proof right not only of the practice but your own ability and kind of flooring people because they're like who the hell is the susan tamante that came out of nowhere um and then you starred alongside robert redford correct uh, in the movie the candidate is that that's not right. correct or is that correct other it's actually uh, before i came to hollywood um while i was uh-huh. studying at the american conservatory theater um mm-hmm. i did background work or we call it, we were called extras back then and it was how right. I made extra right. money. And so I did, I did mm-hmm. extra work on Butterflies Are Free. That's how I met Milton Katselis, the director. Um, mm-hmm. at that time, now, you know, now the background actors get separated. Um, can't really interconnect with people, unfortunately, but, yeah. um, you know, nowadays, I mean, back then you could mix, you would be at the lunch thing and you could meet, Goldie Hawn, or you can meet, you know, Barbara Streisand. I did extra work on What's Up Doc, although I couldn't, mm-hmm. I couldn't approach her. I had no, I just didn't have the courage to go up. I was so, I still mm-hmm. to this day regret not going up and saying how I felt about it, how she changed <laughs> my life, you know. Yeah, I did extra work, and um, one time they, oh, so they call me in to read for the part. And I went in, mm-hmm. I, at that time I had glasses, the, the glorious Steinem glasses, 
big, you know, mm-hmm. uh, big, wire rims. Yeah. yeah. My hair was down to my right. butt, straight down to my butt. But I curled my hair and I wear my I wore my um, contact lenses and put makeup on and went in to read for Hoyt Bauer, who was very famous casting director at that time, and didn't get called back. I thought, oh, okay. Mm. So then I was called in to do extra work at the Paramount Theater in Oakland. Anyway, so they were doing a um, campaign. You know, he was doing a campaign speech, Robert Redford. So I Mm -hmm. hair down, Gloria Steinem glasses, my jeans, my uh, sweater, Feet hanging over the front of the thing, reading a, waiting, reading a newspaper while waiting for, and the director approaches me and says, hi, are you an actor? I say, yeah, I'm an mm. actor. I'm here, you know, to do extra work. And he goes, come with me. And he takes me over wow. to, <laughs> to, um, he said, I want you to meet Robert Redford and, uh, <laughs> Peter Boyle. And they hired me for that part that I didn't get uh, for the audition. And it was Mm. basically a groupie. And during those times, you know, when the 70s, those great European 70s movies, they'd always have these mysterious women that would come in and out of the uh, scene, but they wouldn't say anything. They'd just be like this girl Uh would be in and out. So I didn't have any dialogue. And they asked me do I want to be Screen Actors Guild or Screen Extras Guild at the time and if I was Screen Extras Screen Actors Guild I wouldn't get a credit or Screen Extras Guild I wouldn't get a credit but I would be able to they wanted to hire me as a um, stand-in for the woman who was playing his wife so that's where I and I agreed to that um Although my agent was mad that I did that, but I wanted to learn how to do film. And I did six weeks with them traveling around the Bay Area. I learned two shot over the Mm. shoulder, master, um, all the lingo. It was, you know, just Mm -hmm. perfect, you know, for me to learn how to, you know, and I brought my mom and my aunt to the set and Redford was so nice to them and got pictures with Mm. them and signed autograph for them and, um, and I, I kept in touch with quite a few of those people, uh, Peter Boyle being one of them. Um, mm. And uh, so then, you know, that that was my that was my Robert Redford thing. And, and the other thing is that um, I had one scene. You couldn't hear me, but I had to whisper in his ear. And I mm. went to the director, Michael Ritchie, and I said, what, what do you want me to say? And he goes, whatever you want to say. And I was like, oh, my God, what do I? So I was up all night, like, you know, what do I say? And there's a scene about, you know, right after that, we see him walking out of my room, right? And I'm walking Mm. next to him, and there's the insinuation that the affair has gone on. And so I was like, I don't know what to do. What do I say? I I don't know what to say. Oh, my gosh. And so I ended up saying, I'm in room 207 see you afterwards <laughs> or something like that. <laughs> and uh, then he took me aside um, at one point and sat me, you know, in the theater and said, um, mm-hmm. this is how important this part is to the movie. We're not going to hear your voice, but this is, you know, the because it was such a great script. It's actually an award-winning 
I think it got an Academy Award, um, about politics and, you know, starting to really see the, you know, insidious corruption that goes on and the fakeness of propping the candidate up and making him look better than he really is type of thing. And, and he, you know, this woman was, this young woman was his respite to feel something. Hmm. And, uh, yeah, Yeah. that's great. So this was all prior to you coming to Los Angeles then. Yeah. Yeah. That's my Robert Redford's experience happened in San Francisco. Amazing. That, I mean, that's pretty awesome to have that on your resume as well, being, having done that. And I'm sure maybe that opened some doors for you come down to LA and yeah. seeing yeah. and dealing oh, with Oh, you're that girl. Oh, that girl. Yeah. Exactly. It appears. That's incredible. So you're, I've, I did my research and I looked you up and I read your bio and everything, but I would love to know kind of what do you consider to be kind of one of your greatest achievements? Um, and that you really personally take pride in, um, and that may, you may not be necessarily known for. About a year and a half after I started chanting, I got sick and I struggled and fought through Crohn's disease for 18 years. And so, uh, the career I feel like I could have had and um, was on the way of having kind of got cut short, but I still I still managed to uh, to work in the early part of my 30s. And, um, you know, through chanting, I was able to really battle the disease. And I'm now 30 years mm-hmm. Crohn's disease free this year. Yay. Yay. Clapping. Um And um, I'm determined now to have the career I always worked for and wanted. I'm working on that very diligently Mm. right now in the early 2020s. Um, Mm. But uh, I, I, it's interesting, another, you know, another interesting experience of life condition and rhythm Mm. is the Wilderness Family, three movies I did in, um, the late seventies, early eighties. Um, and I'm proud of that the most because, uh, people now still write to me on Facebook and on social media and Mm. they'll say, you know, um, that was the only movie my parents would allow me to see when I was a kid because it was G rated. Oh, wow. And I loved your, Mm -hmm. I loved the family, the Robinson family and gave, you know, it just Mm -hmm. made me feel so much joy. And now I wanted to let you know that I'm, um, watching it with my nieces and nephews tomorrow in the, you know, Mm. Saturday. And, um, thank you for your work. And, um, the other thing is Columbo. Columbo's a big, I did Columbo, Mm. an episode of Columbo that was, uh, on a cruise ship with Robert Vaughn Mm -hmm. and, uh, people remember that and write to me about that today as well. Um, but the wilderness family was another one of these things where I think it was, um, Ricky Nelson, who was a famous singer, his wife mm-hmm. was up for the role. And, uh, oh. I had done quite a few television shows by this time as well. I was working a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, but also very sick. So it's getting hard for me to, with Crohn's disease, you, you, you can't be on a set. It just, mm. it's so painful and terrible. And you can't keep people waiting when you're in the bathroom, you know, having 
right, you know, right. terrible episodes. But I managed to, you know, continue to have bouts of wellness. And I went up for this role and it, and uh, my agent said, you can't have any makeup on. You got to wear, you know, a scarf on your head. You, you know, just be as downplayed as you possibly can. It's a woman and a man who bring their child to the wilderness because she has terrible asthma and her health is terrible and they, they want to move out of LA because of the smog and all of that stuff. Hmm. And so I heard through him, he said, yeah, there's some, you know, name is all that thing. Still, still that way. You know, um, I have a sort of a name in certain circumstances, but I don't really have a name in, in the industry. Um, Hmm. And, uh, so he was just like, you know, she's got to go in and knock their socks off. Well, I knew how to knock their socks off. I still know how to knock their socks off. right? But you know, if you're right for it or not, I don't know. And so anyway, went right. in audition, they call me back. And during the callback, um, I, I kind of tripped up on what I was trying to do. And I just said, Hey, can, you know, hold. So can I, can I start again? And according to what they said, that cinched myself as, you know, for getting the job because they could see I was a professional and accomplished mm. actor that I could, you know, work with the camera and know when I wasn't quite on, you know. And so right. got the part. Mm -hmm. And in the SGI, we had um, culture festivals that were happening um, where we were spreading. Right the joy of this practice to uh, people through culture. And so we would have, we, we would rehearse these for a year. And um, mm -hmm. when they hired me, um, I was supposed to go to Hawaii to be a hostess for our in international president and his guests in Hawaii mm -hmm. uh, for the weekend. Yeah. And so... Of course, the days that we were supposed to leave for Utah and rehearse were those days. And so I was mm. like, my first leading role in a feature film, I've been waiting for this. Now what do I do? This is a terrible obstacle. I don't know. I can't pass this up. And so I called what, who I called my, my Buddha dad, Mike Kikamura. Mm -hmm. He was out there. He was mm. there in Hawaii. And he said to me, I can't tell you what to do. But he said, you need to chant and pray about, you know, the bigger picture of your life. You're going to have many, many jobs right. coming through. But he said, we're erecting mm -hmm. an island on the beach at Waikiki that hundreds and thousands of wow. people will be able to see. And we got the mm -hmm. permits. We, you know, we got everything that we felt they said it was going to be impossible to do and we're going to, we're going to make this happen. And just want to let you know, there's never going to be another floating Island, but you're going to have many, many opportunities as an, as an actor. So I called the producers and we had a conference call and I said, I, I need to go to this. I've been planning for a year to go to this culture festival and I need to go to this. So I can right. come right afterwards, but, and the director of uh, the uh, producer who was, you know, the money man said, no way. We're going to hire mm -hmm. the other woman that, you know, and 
Robert Logan, who was playing my husband, was begging on the line, and the produ- line producer was like, "Please, please, you know, we want you." Mm. And I was like, this is, you know, an opportunity I can't pass up. And I planned it for a year and um, I'm going. So I went mm. and, you know, I had, I didn't have an episode of Crohn's disease there, but my feet were swollen and my body was just racked. And I was standing at the mm. um, viewing stand with President Decada and his guests and watching the performance on that island in the Waikiki Bay. And something just told mm-hmm. me this is a turning point for me. This is wow. This is an eternal moment in my life, right? And mm-hmm. when I got home on my answering machine, no no cell phones in 1975. <laughs> hundreds of messages. What can you come? Wow. The other woman didn't work out. Um, we need you. The, ki- wow. the kids hate her. They just don't want to act with her. We ha- we're having trouble with the children. They love you. Oh can you gosh. come? Can you come? And Wow. And so um, off I went to, and I did three of those movies. And one of the great things I think accomplished was um, after the second one, uh, it became internationally. It, it came, went internationally and was uh, making a splash everywhere, including Japan. And I was able to go to Japan and do a publicity tour and be able to speak at um, a hall in Japan that's called the uh, Makiguchi Memorial Hall, where a thousand people Mm -hmm. came to hear my experience because there weren't many Americans practicing at that time. And it was mostly, you know, mm-hmm. Japanese and some other countries. Now there's 192 right. countries with people practicing, but um, mm-hmm. I'll never forget looking out at, at the sea of people and just seeing white handkerchiefs coming up to people's eyes because they were so moved by, you know, this American girl talking about my practice and how I had had so much victory with it and wow incredible i love that that's so so moving and amazing i only saw snippets of uh the the films but it looks amazing you were actually interacting also with like live animals in the show were yes. you as well, like as a part of the series mm-hmm. like that that how did you then physically going through Crohn's also deal with doing three movies and also being so active and alive on set? I mean, that just seems so difficult. Yeah, very, very difficult. Especially the second one, I had an episode. I was in the hospital just prior to it. Mm. So if if you wow. if you examine it closely, I'm very thin in the second one because you know mm. you can't really eat well when you're having a Crohn's disease episode. But, you know, mm. the stamina, I mean, part of what Nitrin Daishonin teaches is that when you connect to this mystic law, that's the, you know, the larger vibration of the universe with your own life, what, what you experience is this amazing power that you have in your life. And also my, my determination and love of acting, um, Mm-hmm. catapulted me too I feel you know um, and I told everybody I told everybody about it and that 
if they saw me missing, that I might be having a hard time in the restroom and that they were going to have to wait, you know, till I was able to come back out. And, and, you know, right by then I was, you know, dealing with which medications were going to work okay with me. And, but, um, Mm -hmm. yeah, I just, uh, part of Nietzsche's teachings is you're, you're, you know, a part of the Buddha attributes is forbearance, endurance, you know, um, and that's what I started to cultivate, I feel like, in my life was, yes. you know, this. Yeah. And I remember uh, also, you know, there's a, a mystic side of it um, when you're performing, because performing is an act of giving, right? And we had a mm-hmm. women's meeting at the Santa Monica Civic Auditorium. We had a rock band. And... Mm. I was the singer in the band and uh, mm-hmm. my my group leader at the time, she was also a singer and guitarist in the band. And uh, I was working so much and not sleeping properly. I, I didn't take care of my health. You know, I learned how to take mm-hmm. care of my health, but I didn't at that time. Anyway, so mm-hmm. um, we were singing um, The Eye of the Tiger from Rocky. Mm. <laughs> and love it, love it. I lost my voice. I I say I have a Tina Turner oh. voice. I never lose my voice, but I lost my voice. And I went up to mm. her and I was like, I can't. I'm not going to be able to sing. I can't sing. I can't. I'm Oh no! And no, she no, was no. like, Oh no! You're going on stage and you're going to sing. And I was like, I can't. I don't have it. I can't sing at all. <laughs> And she was like, then you're going to go up there and you're going to make the cause, right? This is what we talk about in our Buddhism. Make the cause, take the action, the courageous action. And you're going to mouth it because you're going to encourage those people, you know, hundreds of women who have come to this meeting, right? Hmm. So we get on stage and it's going to bam, 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 bam. And we start singing. And my voice is like a powerful horn. It comes out and I'm singing with gusto. And we finish and everybody stood up and clapping and everything. And I go off the stage and I'm like, I can't believe that happened. I can't. I gotta go. I gotta go rest. So I saw the mystic principle of, you know, cause and effect there where if I was doing that for the sake of others, something powerful happens, Mm. you know, Mm. my voice came out. Absolutely. Yes. At the right moment you stood up and made the cause. Exactly. I love that. Um, so has there been a specific moment in your career thus far that you felt like you had really, quote unquote, made it or um, maybe a highlight of your career? I know that you talked about the, the wilderness series, but uh, if there was another thing that you felt that was really um, a, a made it moment. I would say, you know, uh, the made it moment is to me is when people recognize your talent when they see, yes. you know, uh, I would say that first, that first job 
on the Great American Beauty Contest mm-hmm. where people went, wow, you know, that that's mm-hmm. powerful talent. And I've carried that. I, 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 I'm starting to, tr- I haven't launched it yet, my own podcast called Tell Me Everything with Susan DeMonte. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, I interviewed an actress and she actually, worked for years on soap operas on this on that and uh she -hmm. talked about she she stopped and i said why did you stop and she goes you know you are an actor from your soul you will always be an actor, even when Mm -hmm. you were in the middle of almost dying five times of internal bleeding you're you were an actor you were going to find your next way way to express yourself as an actor i'm not i never was i liked it it was Mm -hmm. fun you know, made a living, uh, but it's not something I long for or what I, you know, I'm not, I'm not mm. an actor in my soul. So the made it thing is really, I make it every time I just did a play at, um, at theater 40, it was a farce, it was very physical. Mm-hmm. And, um, mm. afterwards people were just like, Whoa, what you mm. did on stage is like my whole I couldn't keep my eyes off of you right and so mm. it's not a it's not a I made it but it's just mm-hmm. uh, a process of making the story telling the story with all of my might I don't know if that yes that makes absolutely sense. yeah and you yeah. know I, I, I well, maybe yeah, I I'll think- make it this year Alan I don't know <laughs> it's still trying. It. Well, no, I think, yeah. But I think you also make a good point though, right? That so much of um, what Buddhism teaches you as well is that it's a, it's really about the journey, right? It's not making it to this far off destination of making it in the eyes of whoever. But I like how you said, really, it's like people recognizing you and appreciating the work that you're doing has more of an effect on your career and probably the feeling of like, ah, like that, 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 that benefit feels good rather than just being like, wow, I won this amazing accolade. And now it's kind of like, what next? Right. Yeah. I mean, that's why they talk about the, uh, the, uh, the Oscar curse when people, you know, right. Win an Oscar. Sometimes they catapult into the rabbit hole and can't, you know, can't get back right. out sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. I love that you shared, though, that this actress who you spoke with was really sharing that, like, in you, like, who you are as a being is an actor, right? And that the passion and drive that you have, no matter what, will, like, never give up and will consistently keep doing that. So, yeah, I think that some of us are just born that way, right? And that is what we love to do. And as long as you still love what you're doing, I don't think you'll ever kind of, like, fall off that path necessarily. No, not at all. I, you know, maybe I'll pass away on, on a stage somewhere in the middle of a soliloquy. (laughs) (laughs) That would be a dramatic exit, if you will, (laughs) if I've ever heard of one. And then Susan slowly just went away and that was it. Oh, oh, okay. You know, I once, uh, I once looked up, somebody was asking about it, like who, who has actually, uh, died on the stage. There's quite a few. I found it, you know, online. There's quite a few people who have, you Mm. know, passed away while performing. It's interesting. Mm. That is interesting. Yeah. Um, So a couple more questions for you. Um, 
So I didn't realize this until kind of researching and um, learning more about you, but both of your daughters are actors as well. Um, and I, I'm just so intrigued to know kind of like, how does that dynamic work as like the matriarch of the family, obviously, but then uh, having two daughters who are also in this crazy business that we call, you know, the acting world. Yeah. Well, here's the thing. It's interesting. Um, Natalie and Vanessa are two totally different human beings coming out of the same womb. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and mm. Vanessa is the actress at <laughs> soul like me. And Natalie was, mm -hmm. she's now an acupuncturist and a healer. Uh, she oh, was the amazing actress, but it's not her, it's not her, um, deep, Got it. deep, uh, vow as a, as a, an artist. She, right. she doesn't have that. She doesn't miss right. it now. And, yeah. um, I'm kind of, mm. I'm kind of sad about it because she's amazing, amazing actress. She's kind of got mm. the the character side that Vanessa used to be kind of jealous. Like, I can't play a heroin addict. I can't play, you know, a gothic mm. girl. Natalie can, you know, because Vanessa's got the the <laughs> Ingrid Bergman chiseled features and stuff. She's starting now to be mm -hmm. able to get some a little bit more uh, character um, roles. And she's mm. enjoying that. But no, Vanessa mm. came to me at 11. I think she was 11 and she had just started chanting also asked me to teach her mm. uh teach her the sutra um and she's like i mm -hmm. want to be an actor and i was in the middle of crohn's mm. disease and i was like no mm -hmm. don't be an actor <laughs> just be a be a child <laughs> you know enjoy your childhood don't be an actor and and she was like, but I love it. And yeah. she, same thing with her, you know, she knows all the characters in the Wizard of Oz. She can act them out mm. to you right now. Um, she would spend hours watching, you know, um, musicals and uh, Snoopy story. And she was always into the story, you know, like with the Wizard of Oz, she came, mm. down, she came down one time. We always laugh about this and... The, the cowardly lion when he goes, I got cycles under my eyes. And she came home, she came down and she's like, what are cycles? What does he have cycles under his eyes? And I said, he has a Brooklyn accent. <laughs> he said, I got cycles under my eyes. So I taught her about an, a Brooklyn accent at that time. Um, but you know, she would watch That's Oliver, okay. know all the songs and, you know, just, from a very early age loved you know one of her mm. birthday parties they they acted out um uh madonna's whole album you know so when mm -hmm. she was 11 she's like i want to be an actor and i said oh god no please don't and so then i had a talk with her and i said you know i and then my our her their father my ex-husband said you know mm-hmm if you were a doctor, wouldn't you teach them how to be a doctor? They wanted to be a doctor. Like, mm. why wouldn't you give them, you know, your knowledge and prowess of being an actor since you were 18? So right. I chanted, I chanted about it. And then I sat down with Vanessa and I said, okay, I'm going to, I want to do this. And he was like, you know, you, this is something you can do. You don't have to be on stage or in front of the camera. You can, you know. While you're battling this disease, you can, you know, help her to, 
uh, have mm-hmm. a career. And so I went to her and I said, right. okay, so here's how it's going to go. You, you are first <laughs> a human being. <laughs> you're a family member. Mm-hmm. You're a student. And then you're going to be an actor in your spare time. Right. Mm. And I said, and I'll tell you, if we do this, I'm going to go all the way. I'm going to get you an agent. You're going to go. And I said, you're going to, you might miss your prom. You might miss your graduation. You might miss the best, you know, party that you want to go to, uh, concerts. Mm. You won't be able to do after school sports. You'll have to go directly to Mm. auditions afterwards and you'll be on location and miss a lot of your friends' parties and things. So, and she's like, well, you're making, (laughs) you're making it sound terrible. And I said, okay, well, (laughs) let me know. So she went and she chanted and came back and said, I still want Mm. to, I want to, I want to do it. And so Mm. I told her, I'm, you know, I'm going to give up my career, although my career was nothing at that time. And, um, actually I was starting a career as a fitness trainer because I started to Mm. realize I needed to get a strong body to combat, um, you know, a healthy and, and strong body to combat the disease as well. So I was doing, I was, right. I was exploring psychologically and therapy and physically and, you know, how to, uh, win, win over, the the disease and so one I called one of my friends who's a director and he introduced us to a really good agency she was only 14 she came we went to a mm-hmm. kids agency for 11 12 13 yes yeah, so for about four years and she she got a lot of commercials and uh stuff like that things little work here and there but Hmm. Um, I called the director now that she was starting to get work and looking like she was really serious about doing it. Uh, I called him and mm-hmm. he introduced us to a really great agency. She was 14. She had already, uh, she also started modeling at that time. She modeled from 13 to 16 hmm. <laughs> and, okay. um, which, you know, a lot of it was, I had some controversial people wondering why, you know, it was very, you know, I'm sexualizing my daughter in photos and mm. she, she, uh, right. uh, was able to do photo shoots with Bruce Weber and, um, Stuart Sterling. Mm. I mean, so many, uh, Matthew Ralston, um, mm. and, uh, almost got hired by, um, Calvin Klein, but, um, yeah, mm. we went to New York and she auditioned for it and, uh, can't remember her name right now. Johnny Depp's girlfriend, um, Kate, Kate Moss. They were they were neck yes. and neck on that one. It, um, but she, you know, wow. yeah. But Vanessa didn't really want to model, so she, you know. But anyway, so I brought her portfolio in there. She hadn't done really anything, and uh, one agent was in there, and then like six of the agents who were on the phone, get in here and see this girl, you know. And, uh, they were auditioning for part two of the Blue Lagoon. And, uh, mm-hmm. she auditioned for it and got, at the time, you know, they had this quotation, you know, you would get a quote, like, will you do a deal mm-hmm. ahead of time? And you would give a quote. And so then you would have to match, the next producer would have to match that quote. I don't think that exists anymore, but 
she got a quote from that hmm. and uh i think it was uh yeah i forget the german girl that got it but anyway um that started her hmm. you know working and uh and then she right. was able to and the and thing was this was she couldn't do really acting classes so i was kind of her acting teacher like I'd pick her up at school and I'd have already read the screen screenplay. And then I'd say, here's the breakdown of the character and here's what's going on. And we rehearsed the car on the way to the, um, or, you know, if we'd have, wow. we'd have some time ahead of time, hopefully, but not always. And, uh, right. so then she, one of her big breakthroughs was, um, ladybugs with Rodney Dangerfield. Um, and that mm -hmm. was same thing where there was a turning point where, she was really starting to get called back and um, she got a call back and we lived in Topanga and she was going to school in the Palisades and um, wow. they were like, get in here. And so I had Larry who was in town <laughs> head her off at the pass and tell her, don't get on the bus to go mm. to T Topanga because we're going to this callback. And he comes over to me and goes, you better talk to her. She doesn't want to go. And I was like, what? Oh, so no. she's in the back seat crying. She's like, every Friday when Michelle, I think her name, yeah, her friends, <laughs> Michelle wants me to come to a sleepover. I have to go and I can never go. And I have to tell her I can't make it. And, and then I just, you know, and I <laughs> got in the back and I said, okay, you know, you're getting, you have an agent now. They're working hard. I'm working hard. But it's your life, I told you. It's your life. It's your career. I'm not getting anything for this. I'm just supporting you. And, you know, mm -hmm. when you make some money, I'll get something. But right now, nothing. You know, I'm just doing this because you're, this is your dream, I thought. So I'll, I'll put the mm -hmm. keys in the car and take you to Michelle's, but I'm going to have to let your agent know that you're not serious about this. And that's fine. Mm. She kind of sat there for a minute and she's like, okay, let's go. <laughs> we went to Paramount and it was, um, who's the guy that wrote, uh, Family Ties? David Gary Goldberg, I think his name was. And, uh, it was a new mm -hmm. series that he had written and they invited me in. They would never invite me in because, you know, all the stage mothers were so evil at the time. Uh huh. <laughs> so get, oh, yeah. They kind of still are. I think so. Real. <laughs> stage mothers are stage mothers. <laughs> and, you know, I always had to prove myself that I wasn't, although I was very strict, mm -hmm. you know, I was very strict about her being treated properly. But anyway, um, right. they invited me in. I got to look at the, you know, the monitor and she, I could see she was getting the, he was getting the bug because he, mm. you know, usually they don't laugh. They don't say anything. They don't react. And he was just, every right. time she said a line, he was like, ha, 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 ha. and she, I could see her. She didn't break her character, but I could see in her eyes like, hey, I landed that joke. Mm. That was pretty good. You know, afterwards, she was skipping down yeah. Paramount, you know, and she's like, that was fun. And I never had an argument from her after that. She, she realized mm. this was something she wanted to do. And then she got Hocus Pocus, which is... As you know, classic Halloween, um, famous movie that people mm -hmm. and I think it's amazing that you were able to, you know, 
raised Vanessa, obviously, and she's seen success as well in this acting field. And then from there, obviously, you were dealing with Crohn's disease. You did you feel like you had to like put that aside your own career and then were able to slowly kind of bring it back after you obviously started to feel better or was your were you still pursuing your own acting career while also uh, kind of raising and coaching and helping Vanessa um, and actually Natalie as well you know to to be in this field yeah it, it was really um, just sort of like the the culmination of what disease was teaching me in my life and now, you know, it's just really, it's become like a badge of mm -hmm. honor. I mean, it's really like uh, the best amazing benefit I could ever have gone through because I really revealed who I am now, mm. you know, and I like this person much better than the previous right. person. And it's in the teachings too. It goes deep. But anyway, that, you know, Nietzsche teaches that mm. you are revealing your true and discarding the shallow and taking on the true. And I feel like that really happened. And Absolutely. so that was in 1992. And then soon after that, Vanessa was, she actually went to college, uh, at Columbia University, um, Barnard Columbia and was devastated and started getting panic attacks. And she's shared this, so I'm not talking behind her back, but mm. um, she, cause she's called me out on that. <laughs> like, don't tell my story. Um, uh, so yeah, she started having panic attacks and that's when she really started diligently practicing was uh, at that time. And then she transferred to mm. Pitzer college and went there for about a year and then uh, I was still managing her at that time, and she got called in for um, Stanley Kubrick's Eyes Wide Shut, 1995-ish, um, mm -hmm. something like that. And uh, I went with her mm -hmm. to London on that shoot, as I always would do. And she was 19, going on 20, I think, or 20, 21. And... Um, she had an amazing mm -hmm. experience. I had an amazing experience with uh, Stanley Kubrick on that set. And uh, he really, I mean, he mm -hmm. took her aside at one point and said, you could really do this. You can really be, you could be what Marilyn Monroe could mm -hmm. have been had she not um, gone wow. into the rabbit hole. And also he mentioned her always uh, not trusting her communication with her directors. And turning to her acting coach was, you know, hmm. Strasberg. Um, and so she was really affected right. by that. And we were, it was starting to kind of break apart with us. She didn't want to hear what I had to say in terms of her acting. And mm -hmm. um, it just, you know, it was kind of sandpaper mm -hmm. between us. And so she basically fired me on Eyes Wide Shut. <laughs> basically, wow. basically, mom. Yeah. see you later. We have go. soon wow. uh, overcome wow. much of that, that adversity, you know, it's been, and we have an amazing relationship and, but I had to take responsibility. I had to listen to her and there was Fantastic. a lot of stuff I had to, you know, look at in my yeah. own life. And I'm sure she'll say she did too. Um, yeah. And so, that's when I <laughs> yes. really I turned a corner in my own 
thoughts about my career and went back to studying acting and uh, it was 10 years Crohn's disease free in uh, 2002 when I went to New York to study acting for the first time mm-hmm. and I was really the first time in many many years and wow. uh, it was like somebody put a hook in my talent and started mm-hmm. just pulling it out pulling it out and um, I wrote my solo show, which is about uh, overcoming adversity, called Life, Death, and Entertainment. I have a toilet on stage, and I say, here's where I sat. Mm-hmm. Here's where I sat for <laughs> I 18 years bleeding from my ass. Anybody bled from their ass? <laughs> and people kind of go, yes, I did. What do I do? <laughs> so it's a story. Uh, my father was murdered. Um, in mm. 1996, uh, my brother died, eventually mm. died of drug and alcohol wow. poisoning for actually internal bleeding, I- ironically enough. And, um, and so I tell the mm. story of mm. standing up to victory through all of the adversity, um, on stage. And I started writing that in New York, Wow. lived in New York pretty much off and on for 10 years. And, um, um, just reawoken mm. my my beautiful artistry and been you know plugging away at it since I moved yes. back to LA in 2012 and helped my mother to die beautifully and uh, you know just started to mm. that's when I went into uh, working with the Foley Mara productions and that they helped me to create my short film called uh, Repercussions. I wrote it, I star in it, I produced mm-hmm. it, and it's won many awards at film festivals. And so learning that aspect of it was a lot of fun. And now yes. I'm kind of, uh, I set up my um, account on ACX. I'm going, I'm going to go into uh, narration, book narration, as a way to, you always helping always hoping to continue Amazing. to make money as an artist and finding different ways to do so and then i got a couple of mm-hmm. you know um guest yes. star i've been called in for a couple of good guest stars in the last month and so something's stirring up some some stuff is stirring up congrats well yeah as you as you're saying right buddhism is always talking about how you know, you're making causes. Everything's based on cause and effect, right? So the more causes you're making to help others, you know, go through their struggles, figure their shit out, if you will, you know, the more you start to feel the fortune and benefit from it. And that's not why we do it, but it is part of the process of doing it, right? So the title of this uh, podcast is, you know, The Creative Lotus. And as you know, as your Buddhist practitioner as well, you know, the, the lotus blooms, but it also kind of seeds at the same time through this muck and this gunk and crap underneath. So my analogy for this podcast is that like through all the struggles and, you know, what you just shared about your family um, and your own personal struggles that you've gone through can be considered right like the the muck or the shit underneath but this beautiful lotus flower is what you know you kind of present to the world and are able to create so do you feel like there is a lotus flower moment of your life at this point um and and if so kind of Mm. what does that look like and or mean to you yeah i just um i do feel like i have blossomed my lotus for sure um 
I was able to buy my own home, which was an impossible task in January of 2020. I pretty much just jumped off the I'm going to own my own home cliff Mm. and emptied all of my retirement funds and said, you know, this is where I'm putting my money. And so it's a struggle. I'm struggling right now to, you know, make ends Mm -hmm. meet. But, um, you know, I feel like... Mm. The 50 years of consistent practice of chanting Namiyaho Renge Kyo has, uh, it was, it mm-hmm. saved my life. And not to mention taking leadership in the organization. So to, mm. you know, care about another human being, starting out as a self-centered, mm-hmm. self-consumed, you know, uh, selfish right. actress. <laughs> and in a sense, being given the opportunity to care about another human being in this organization has, you know, really kept me alive, I, I really have to say. And uh, that's that's the, mm. the blossoming. I, I'm, and the yeah. thing is, is that um, I kind of almost feel like I keep beginning. I feel like now I'm beginning again. I keep on beginning. And where, mm. where I should be retired and, you know, slowing down, I... I'm doing more than I did in my 20s, you know, because I have health, I have vitality, I have yeah, life force yeah. and energy, and uh, and people are watching. And yeah. everything I do is, you know, for the sake of others. So it yes. there's never a moment, I always ask myself, I was just telling someone yesterday that I'm encouraging that has Crohn's disease. I was like, you know, Ask yourself, are you saying mm. yes with purpose and no with conviction? That came to me like the fourth time I almost died. Mm. And that I was not using my own power to mm. make decisions in my life and was feeling a victim of circumstances perpetrated upon. People are forcing me. I don't have a choice. Um and over the years that I, when I've been encouraging people, I've found that to be a thread with chronic illness, especially Crohn's disease, of um, of feeling mm. crushed, feeling put upon. Uh, somebody's doing something to you, and Nichiren Buddhism mm. is the exact opposite of that. You, you already have the power; you just have to manifest it, and. Um, so that's kind of my lotus flower motto. Right. Say yes with purpose. Say no with conviction. And you'll never feel sick again, really. I love that. That's beautiful. Well, what is kind of a day <laughs> in the life like for Susan DeMonte at this point? Um, you know, you, you know, just kind of sharing that you're a multi-hyphenate, right? So you do the acting, you do the writing, you also produce, and now you're doing voice acting as well. So kind of uh, what are you doing and like, and what is your work ethic like now, you know, since you've been in this industry for a while, you've experienced all these things, um, kind of how do you, yeah, well, first thing going, I do is turn off the alarm, get out of bed, use the restroom, open my altar, turn on the coffee pot and start chanting. Mm. I used to kind of procrastinate and go around and, nice. and then, you know, I would do what I jokingly call, well, we do gongio, it's called, and I would call it bronchio, like brunch gongio. And, uh, 
And our mentor says, you know, win in the morning. Now, I'm not a morning person, but I've been able to encourage people around, you know, over the years. Mm-hmm. Whenever you get out, you have the night shift. When you get home, you do evening gongyo. You know, when you wake up, if it's noon, you do morning gongyo. That's your rhythm. But mm. don't miss because, well, oh, you know, the day is gone. So right. I missed. No, right. don't miss. Right. Or at least try your best not to miss. I mean, I don't put that mm. on anybody, but, mm. um, and so, right. yeah, that's right. my, my go to thing. I'm constantly, because I don't have a nine to five job, I'm constantly struggling to, make goals and keep goals and make myself accountable. And, and so I hired, um, Holly Moore. She's, Mm -hmm. um, a, her, her business is called peak performance VIP accountability. I hired her last December because, you know, months go Mm -hmm. by and, you know, the marketing materials you need as an actor right now with, you know, with online, auditions and whatnot, you know, it's very important what you're putting out there, what people can see. And so my, my website was not up to par. My actor's Mm -hmm. access profile wasn't really good. And so she's been really helping me to, uh, Mm. make those goals, set those goals, uh, turn on a timer, (laughs) which I've never done. Turn a timer on for 25 minutes, Mm. five minutes, take a sip of water, you know, stretch your legs, come back. And then the first thing she said was, okay, mm. look at all you did. Cause when I, I, I hired her, I was also hired to, um, do the lead in a play at theater 40. And it was very physical and, you know, mm. exhausting and fun play, but it was a lot. And being the lead, you you know all the uh, mm-hmm. all the dialogue. You're on stage. I think there was right 15 minutes or maybe 10 minutes. I'm not on stage. So um, she said, "Well, most people." And then she started showing mm-hmm. me, re, you know, sort of mirroring to me. She's like, "You're amazing what you get accomplished in the day." A uh, lot of actors, much younger mm-hmm. than you, come to me and say, "Oh, I got cast in this play. I can't." I can't do any accountability stuff right now. You know, wait until I finish. Yeah. Yeah. Or like, I can't, I don't have that kind of capacity. So, you know, she said to me, look what you accomplished this week. You learned your lines. You went to, you went to rehearsal. You did a page of your website. You got your photos up there. You did blah, 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 blah. So now how are you going to reward yourself? And it was like crickets, crickets, mm. <laughs> reward myself. Yeah. <laughs> how are you going to, how are you going to, re- you, look what you yeah, did. How that? are you going to reward yourself? And I was like, like, what do you mean? Like what, buy myself a gift? What? Mm. She goes, I don't care. Get a pedicure, go in your backyard, enjoy a lemonade, see your grandson. I don't care. But you, if you're going to work with me, you, you have to every single week, you're going to report mm-hmm. to me how you've rewarded yourself for your good work that you've done. Yeah. And so it's wow. really changing me in terms of my day in a life of, you know, is, is to, I mean, even just yesterday when I met with her, she was like, I, I had overbooked myself and somebody texted me and said, are you coming for blah, blah, blah. And I was like, Oh, 
Mm-hmm. And so she wrote, and I wrote to her, um, we, we do Voxer, <laughs> the app Voxer. And so I, I put a thing on there saying, oh, this is what happened. And she was like, mm-hmm. make sure you have your calendar in front of you and that you are available before you say yes to people. And so that's always, you know, that goes back to say yes with purpose and no mm-hmm. with conviction, right? And so I always have to follow that life motto is, it right. used to be I'd say yes to everyone and I could never make all the yeses I told people. And then they'd be pissed off or I wouldn't mean it when I would say no, right? So nobody knew wh- how to, you know, uh, right. depend on me or right. not. And so that's what I'm learning with Holly. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, she's, she's a member of the bigger thing called the 2% Collective, which is, uh, Jen Rudolph's, uh, company. And she started it because, you know, she said 2% of all actors get uh, the opportunities for work. So how do you become the 2%? And it's not because you're mm. too old. It's not because you're white. Wow. It's not because you're black. Yeah. It's not because you uh, have experience, don't have experience. It's because you don't know what the market wants and you're not giving the market what it wants. So how do we make your package mm. be the market that people are wanting? Wow. And the market's always right. Right? Like she says, right. how, Tell it, we were on a Zoom when I first started, and she was like, uh, why, why is Jeff Bezos a billionaire? So we're all saying, well, he had a good idea, well, that, you know, mm. things come, uh, you know, on time, we can, and she said, it's, it's a couple of things. It's, it's, he crushed time, he took the aggravation away, and he made it easy. So if you think, Mm. Those three things. So that's what you have to be right. as an actor. Solutions. When somebody's looking for the chief of police and mm. somebody goes, oh, and, and I submit you, your agent submits you, what do they see on your profile? Is your, do you have a chief of police headshot? Does it pop out? And then if they click on that, do mm-hmm. you have media that shows you being the chief of police? And is it easy to find? Right. And so then they can, they don't have time to search through your thing, try to find where you are. What's this? Oh yeah. I'll th- and she goes, you, you, you collapse their time. You make it easy and you, you eliminate their aggravation. So that's what they've been teaching me. And that's, I'm not quite there yes. yet, but that's what I'm implementing into my day to day. Yes. Beautiful. That's incredible. That's a, it's completely like shifting the mindset, right? As an artist, I think that we get so caught up in our own hula-la, if you will, of our, our, our brains. <laughs> it, hula-la, I like that. I'm, I'm going to trademark that. No, I'm kidding. Um, yeah, the hula-la of it all. And yeah, we don't necessarily schedule things out the way we should or kind of go about them in a very business-oriented kind of thing. I was having a similar dialogue with um, a young man yesterday about that as well. You know, it's like you really have to make this a business and stick up for yourself and figure out the best way to present yourself, you know, to the world, if you will, and for yourself. Through all of the the trials and tribulations that you've gone through, I'm curious, is there been one person, maybe two people that you really can see, consider to be your like number wow. one fan or biggest supporter? Me. 
<laughs> you know, I used to kind of long for people to support me, and I just don't anymore. I just... Because, you know, in my case, too, you know, people have, you know, in the organization, being a leader for all these years, um, I started to say to people, if you think that I'm going to fulfill all your, all your wishes as a human being and look at me as somebody who's going to be your be-all, end-all, I will disappoint you because I'm a flawed human being. Mm, and right. I am, and people say, oh, you're awesome. You're awesome. Mm-hmm. And I say, no, I'm not awesome. My practice of Buddhism is awesome. That I can absolutely, <laughs> without a doubt, tell you wow. that I practice this Buddhism absolutely correctly. And that's why it's awesome. But I'm not awesome. I'm constantly mm-hmm. a work in progress. I'm constantly, you know. And so I think it's like, um, mm. You know, Crohn's disease really brought me to that. Like, I, nobody gave me Crohn's disease. You know, it's a deeper purpose of my right. life. You know, living my vow, as we say in Nichiren Buddhism, mm. that I, you know, from the remotest past, mm-hmm. I made the choice right. to come into this lifetime with these set of circumstances, with these obstacles. And to practice with a mentor, Daisaku Ikeda, mm. who shows me the way of standing alone, standing up alone. Um, but I'll, t- I'll take all the support I can get, right. but I'm not going to count on it. <laughs> I got to be the one that supports me and pats me on the back and gives me a reward yes. every single week. <laughs> there we go. Give Susan a cookie, damn it. She needs it this week, okay? <laughs> a good glass of red. What's your go-to red wine? Is it like a Pinot Noir or you Cabernet? A, I, it used to be uh, Merlot, but then it just uh, for some reason I just started not liking that. Started mm. tasting Cabernet. Yeah, Cabernet Sauvignon. Yeah, no, I totally feel you. Yeah, and now I'm trying to not drink during the week. That's my goal right now is, you know to yeah because you know as you age you can't you can't recover from even one glass of alcohol (laughs) it's like oh god okay (laughs) got stuff to do yeah it catches up with you quickly yeah and i feel totally exactly yeah production must keep on going forward um my <laughs> so my next question is kind of what are your goals for say let's the next three to five or even ten years from now um, in everything that you, you know do I want to be um, Betty White. I want to keep working until I'm a hundred. I want to live till 105 mm-hmm. now. I was a hundred now because I have young grandchildren. I love it. I want to see them grow up and see what they become. They're already amazing. Yes. I have so much I want to accomplish Mm. and, you know, that's why I'm concentrating on keeping my health good and Mm. getting coaches and I'm doing a, starting a health program next uh, Monday, which is also a accountability health program. They're going to be coaching me, keeping on me, watching what I'm eating, my habits, all that. So I really realized I had to have that kind of help, you know, to Mm. 
And um, I really want to make, uh, tell stories that move people's lives and give them hope and joy and Mm. um, happiness. Because I think, you know, art is a place where people can heal. When you go into a movie theater, every time I go into a movie theater, whoever I'm with, I put my hand on their thigh or touch their arm when the lights go down. Mm -hmm. Because it's just, you know, that amazing time when Mm -hmm. you can go into a story and learn about yourself and learn about others. And, um, yeah, so. Yeah. That's it. That's what I want to do for the rest of my life. Beautiful. I love that. Fantastic. And then my question that tends to stump people or they're like, oh, that's weird, is um, if you could talk to your future self 15 years from now, what would you say to your future self? Can I say the F word? (laughs) You are a fucking warrior. You, You are somebody who accomplished so much and people will remember it for the rest of their lives. Thank you for working really hard. Mm, I love that. Absolutely. And then um, you've already kind of mentioned it, and I'm guessing it would be the same, but uh, a life motto that you really live by, if you could share that with us. I think it's those two things. My life is for the sake of serving others. So every moment that kind of comes in, I mean, it really came to me the last time I almost died. So it's in my life. It's a way of life. I'm always thinking, I know that whatever I do, even if no one's watching, it's, it affects people. Um, the interconnectedness or we call dependent origination. And this, you know, say yes with purpose, say no with conviction. If, if I say yes, I'm showing up 100%. Mm. If I say no, I stand with that. And I have really been able to garner respect mm. because of it, you know, where I used to feel like a feather in the wind and I could never please everybody and I could never, yeah. you know, um, accomplish anything. I'm just, you know, oh, I forgot about this. Oh my God, that's right, I told that person. It used to be agony. No wonder my gut was exploding. You know, just, I I could never remember what lie I told people when I'd walk in the room. I could, Mm. you know, I I never had, uh, you know, what story did they know about me or (laughs) what have I told them? Or, you know, it just was so agonizing to, so basically it's, you know, I guess the other thing is, right. Be your your yourself. Be your authentic. I know it sounds kind of kitschy nowadays. You know, be your authentic self. You know, but it's true. Find the true you and live that. It's kind of like right. what you see is what you get when you meet Susan Demonte. There's no lying. There's no cheating. There's no mm. uh, falsehood. It's just what, what you see is what you get. And it's, that's why I feel my Crohn's disease can't nest. Crohn's disease can't nest, even though I know I still have that causality in my life. It can't manifest anymore because I'm living with purpose. I'm living with integrity. I'm living with truth. 
I don't lie. I can't lie. I can't pretend. I can pretend on stage, but I can't pretend to people. Um, and I have to speak out when something mm-hmm. happens. I have to dialogue with people, tell the truth. Gather. The other day, like I said, I had said, oh my gosh, I, I you know, I had made a, a date. That's a rarity that I don't know what my schedule is and to leave somebody hanging. But it used to be a regular thing day mm. after day and have to find out what lie I was going to tell people because mm. I couldn't yeah. make it or, you know, whatever. And so, yeah, I think those are, are my mottos. Say, be true to yourself, mm. reveal your true self, say yes with purpose, no with conviction, and um, authentic self. Be your true authentic self? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> stay and stay in the precious moment. Cause I used to like forever, I would go, Oh my God, what did I do in the past? What did I do in the past? I can't believe I did that. It's so terrible. <gasps> What's going to happen in the future? What's going to happen in the future? Oh my gosh. I, I, I can't move. I can't move until that was in New York. I had that realization that how can you stay in? And Nitrin says, you know, stay in this precious moment. That's where you, your power is. I was also listening to Eckhart Tolle at that time in 2003 on the A train. And he's like, I want you to ask yourself, what is the value of the past? I go, uh-huh. Now I want you to ask yourself, what have you ever accomplished in the future? And it's like, well, you can't accomplish something in the future because it hasn't happened. And what's the value of the past? How it serves this moment. And that was a turning point for me, too, was I have to, you know. So I even talk to myself sometimes. I'll go, okay, Susan, what's happening right now? What can you do right now? And then I can calm myself down and do whatever it is at this moment. Amazing. Well, th- thank you so much. I I actually thank you. Um, I just want to let everyone know who's listening as well as watching on YouTube. Uh, where can they follow you? What are your uh, social media platforms that you're on? And how can they follow along with what is to come for Susan DeMonte? And all of my social media, uh, you can click on the icons mm-hmm. there. But basically, I'm I'm me. I'm Susan DeMonte. I don't have monikers. I don't have funny mm-hmm. things. It's just Twitter, Susan DeMonte, Instagram, Susan DeMonte, LinkedIn, Susan DeMonte. Yeah, and my website is SusanDeMonte.com. Keeping it simple. I like it. All across the board, Susan DeMonte. I'll uh, definitely put links and everything down below so you can definitely check out uh, more of Susan's work. And uh, yes, huge shout out. And thank you so much, Susan, for sharing so much of your personal story and for being on the Creative Lotus podcast. Um, I congr- appreciate it. Congratulations and good luck with this. Thank you so much to Susan DeMonte for an amazing interview and sharing so many of her stories as well as her personal journey. And this week's Buddhist quote of the week is, life is painful. It has thorns like the stem of a rose. Culture and art are the roses that bloom on the stem. The flower is yourself, your humanity. 
Art is the Liberation of the Humanity Inside Yourself by Daisaku Ikeda. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. Go ahead and take a look down in the description. Please give us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts if you can. And go ahead and give us a thumbs up on YouTube as well as hit that subscribe button and hit that ding bell if you want to go ahead and get notifications for when a new episode comes out. Thank you once again, and I will see you in the next episode of the Creative Lotus Podcast. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of the Creative Lotus Podcast. I'm your host, Alan Zaki. Please go ahead and subscribe, rate us, and write a review. And follow me at Alan Zaki on social media. I look forward to having more amazing creative dialogues on the next episode. <laughs>